This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why not include members of the Biden transition team as part of this summit that you're hosting today? Well, we're going to have to see who the next administration is. Masking, vaccinations, opening schools. These are the three key goals for my first 100 days. President-elect Joe Biden is expected to nominate Lloyd Austin to be defense secretary. Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. The incoming Biden administration continues to come into focus. Some of the names are familiar on Capitol Hill. California Attorney General Javier Becerra, a former member of the House for Health and Human Services Secretary, and, according to several media outlets, Representative Marsha Fudge, a former chairwoman of the Congressional Black Caucus, to be Housing and Urban Development Secretary. The nomination of retired General Lloyd Austin to be Defense Secretary, however, has raised some concerns about the erosion of civilian control of the military. Austin would require a waiver from the House and Senate because it has not yet been seven years since he left the Army, as is required. If that happens, it would be the second time in four years. James Mattis, Donald Trump's first defense secretary, required such a waiver as well. And there are some political considerations. Austin would be the first black man to head the Pentagon, with black voters being integral to Biden's win are Democrats in Congress really willing to vote against what would be a groundbreaking nominee? John Donnelly, our senior staff writer who covers the Defense Department and national security, is going to talk about this on this podcast. John, hello. Welcome. Hi, Jason. So let's uh, real quickly before we get into the ins and outs of General Austin's nomination and, and the kind of the path and the considerations that he faces in Congress. Let's talk about General Austin himself. Uh, what do we know about him? Well, he is, uh, uh, as you pointed out, um, uh, a retired general, uh, four years ago, retired as a four star. Uh, he was his last command was the uh, head of U.S. Central Command, i.e. U.S. forces in the Middle East. Uh, prior to that, he was vice chief staff of the Army. Before that, he was uh, commander of all the U.S. troops in Iraq. Uh, and had held various positions uh, prior to that. But he broke ground in a number of ways along the way uh, in terms of, uh, you know, breaking racial barriers. You know, the first the first uh, division, black division commander, black corps commander, um, you know, first first African-American commander of a regional uh, combatant command being central command. So um, he has uh, he's been a trailblazer um, and uh, widely respected. Uh, there are some, you know, uh, quibbles uh, here and there uh, that we can talk about a little bit. Uh, but generally speaking, um, you know, uh, he's somebody who has been held in high regard. Well, we will and, get and, to the quibbles. And, and, yes, <laughs> Go we'll ahead. get to the quibbles. Maybe they're more than quibbles. To some people, they're more. To the people uh, who are saying them, they're more than quibbles. But uh, a key uh, point here is that. Um, he was head of central command at the time when uh, vice when Biden was vice president and at the time when Biden was kind of leading the charge in trying to extract U.S. troops uh, from Iraq. 
Uh, and at the same time, uh, ISIS was rearing its ugly head and, and seizing huge swaths of uh, Iraq and Syria. So Austin was the one who was you know, basically uh, responsible for beginning to push back against ISIS, which culminated in taking back almost all of their territory during the Trump administration, but he got the ball rolling. So one thing that is, is interesting about this pick is that when Biden rolled out his national security team right before Thanksgiving, you know, the Secretary of State, his national security advisor, et cetera, um, there was one very noticeable absence there, and it was the defense secretary nominee. And it it's you know it has been um, you know a, a couple of weeks you know since then. So I mean, you're one of the things that you, uh, you it, it's fair to I think conclude is is that he is um, he spent his time making this decision. Right. Yep. Uh, you might even say agonized. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but uh, yeah, he he definitely um, it needed a little more thought. Let's put put it that way. Than some of the others. Um, I mean, one element here is well. Let's first of all mention that uh, Biden had been widely believed to be poised to name Michelle Flournoy, uh, a former uh, top Defense Department official, undersecretary for policy there, uh, who has a long career um, inside the Pentagon, uh, to be the nominee, and she would have broken ground also. She would have been the first female um, defense secretary nominee. Um, and, and some people are disappointed that she was not chosen. Um, but instead he, uh, you know, he, but he got some pushback um, uh, from uh, the Congressional Black Caucus and, and some liberals um, because they wanted to see more African-American representation um, in the cabinet. And so that appears to have been a huge consideration here. And as you pointed out in your intro, it will be a big factor in the politics of his confirmation vote. And, you know, some of the politics we're, we're starting to see. I mean, the Congressional Black Caucus sent out a release uh, praising General Austin, saying that, you know, he's eminently qualified, that the waiver, you know, that, that they would need to get, like, shouldn't be uh, an impediment to him becoming the next defense secretary. Uh, and then, uh, th this afternoon, earlier, we saw Joe Biden take a, what is a, I think we can fairly call it extraordinary uh, step of publishing uh, a piece in the Atlantic uh, that that justified his choice and and said that he had seen Austin uh, uh, perform his duties uh, in in person in Iraq when he was vice president. That you know he talks about his you know the way, some of the stuff that you had mentioned you know the, the ways that he had broken ground. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a black man in the military and so forth. And I don't remember very many other presidents elect taking that kind of tack. No, I don't remember anything like that either. So it, uh, I'm not sure what it says. Uh, I don't think this is gonna be a huge bloodbath of a confirmation battle. So I don't think it's so much um, that um, uh, he may just for one thing, just be quite proud of, of, of making history here. And he wanted to mark it in, in a way other than just issuing your basic press release. Um, but yeah, he does go into some detail there about his thinking and his rationale. And so let's get to some of the congressional mechanics of this. Um, the um, we saw this in 2017 when Donald Trump nominated uh, retired General uh, Jim Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, uh, as, as Trump liked to call him a lot uh, <laughs> until, until he didn't like him anymore. Uh, right. And, and uh, you know, that, that 
the nomination was teed up very early on uh, for, for uh, Trump, you know, to, for Mattis to be confirmed shortly after he was inaugurated. But the House and Senate first both needed to sign off on a waiver, on a vote, because there is a requirement that if you're retired military, you need to have been removed from active service for seven years before taking a position uh, at the head of the Pentagon. Why is this so important? Like before we get into what kind of uh, vote we might be looking at in the House and Senate, why is this waiver in place? Why do people feel so strongly about it? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's just all about the separation, you know, civilian control of the military and a divide between the military and the civilian. Um, and you, you wouldn't want to have, you know, generals just rolling right over into, you know, civilian positions. You want to have some degree of separation. Um, but I hesitate to add that, you know, it's not against the law for former military people to be, um, to, 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 to be nominated for or, or confirmed as, as a secretary of defense. There just has to be this waiting period. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, frankly, look at this and say, it's, it's, the fact that he used to be in the military shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? I mean, he is now a civilian. He's not in the military. He's a civilian, and he has been for several years. I understand the cooling off period, and I understand why people respect that. Um, but I think there's a tendency to make a little bit bigger deal of it than, than needs to be. Um, so, And I think that the vote will reflect that, just as it did in the case of Mattis. The people recognize that, that this, this is not a general. He's, he's a civilian now. Right. Yeah. It's just all the photo, all the recent photos we have of him are in uniform. So it almost sort of reinforces it from a, you know, the, the, the press coverage of him because like yes. the photos we have of him say in, in the CQ roll call archives uh, are him in testifying in uniform. So it's, it's uh, some of the imagery, like we don't, they, we don't, uh, we didn't take a picture of him and his uh, capacity as a board member for Raytheon, which we can talk about now too. It's not mm -hmm. just the civilian, uh, you know, kind of the cooling off period, but some people are not particularly happy about his affiliation with a gigantic con, you know, defense contractor like Raytheon. Is that right. going to be a big hurdle you think? It'll be a little hurdle. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Um, Th those know. those little hurdles were the only ones I could actually clear and track when I was in high school. You, you, so you nothing both. wrong with little hurdles. Right. No, I wasn't <laughs> implying that, Jason. Um, so yeah, I, there are definitely a lot of people who are concerned of the fact that he's a member of the board of Raytheon Company. Um, but you know. Uh, Michelle Flournoy was on lots of boards too. I mean, pretty much everybody who has, uh, not, I don't know about everybody, but it's pretty common for people who are vying for senior civilian positions in the Defense Department to have had some experience in the private sector. And it's not necessarily such an awful thing. Obviously, you want to, you know, be uh, aware of and monitor the revolving door syndrome and clearly, um, you know, make sure that uh, he's recused from certain decisions that affect uh, Raytheon. But um, I, I just don't think it's there's a widespread enough concern about that in uh, in, in Congress. Um, you know, Democrats are more likely to support him because he's Biden's pick than oppose him over that. And 
in the house, one of the, the I mean, th this is actually one of the rare instances where the house does get to weigh in on the fate of a nominee. I mean, they don't vote yes. on confirmation, but they do vote on the waiver. Uh, right. And so, you know, I, I don't know, like, you know, house members gone wild at this opportunity, right? So uh, we saw yeah. uh, that Alyssa uh, uh, Sodkin uh, from the Democrat from Michigan who just won re-election, she's in her second term. She's a former CIA officer. Uh, she uh, served in Iraq also and, and like, you know, didn't work necessarily directly with General Austin, but knows him and knows, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fairly small uh, geographic area that you operate in, uh, whether right. you're intelligence committee or the or community or the military uh, community. Uh, and she said she needs to hear a little bit more uh, before she were, would be signing off on on the waiver. Now she's just one of the, you know, kind of many national security Democrats, so-called national security Democrats. Um, there are a few others like, uh, you know, um, in, in, in the mix, but you, you, it doesn't seem like that, that seems to give her the opportunity to vote uh, if she just needs to hear a little bit more. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a fairly typical um, response among a certain class of Democrats uh, today. Uh, Richard Blumenthal, Senator from Connecticut, a Democrat on Senate Armed Services Committee, clearly said he would not vote to waive, to vote in favor of a waiver for, uh, for um, Austin. But that was the exception that proves the rule. I, 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 if you listen to, um, um, well, Slotkin, you mentioned, uh, Jack Reed, the top Democrat on the Senate Armed Services Committee, who said after he voted for the waiver for Mattis, I will not support another waiver for any other official. That's not an exact quote, but that's basically what he said. Okay. And, and today when he was asked about it, he said, well, I, I really want to, I want to hear from General Austin. <laughs> well, to me, that means he's definitely going to vote A for the waiver and B to confirm Austin. Similarly, uh, well, actually dissimilarly, but but same result. Uh, Richard Durbin, the top Democrat on the defense spending uh, subcommittee in the Senate, uh, he voted against Mattis's waiver. Uh, but now when a Democratic president is offering a secretary of defense who needs a waiver, he, he well, he didn't say he would vote for it, but he's going to take a really close look and he wants to hear from uh, from General Austin. Translation. He's backing Austin 100% on both the waiver and confirmation. I mean, I, I, I will, um, I'll, I'll swallow a penny if, um, if I'm wrong on, on, on those two uh, predictions. But what I'm hearing from Democrats, long story short, is a lot of earnest, we are really concerned about this, but at the end of the day, they're gonna stick with their party on this. And then on the Republican side, it's gonna be interesting to see how, um, how their top principle is expedience too. Um, because, you know, lots of, uh, lots of Republicans voted for the waiver of Mattis. It'll be interesting to see how many of those vote against the waiver for Biden's nominee. But I think, you know, when you shake all this out, I think you're going to end up with Austin being confirmed, barring some surprise. And, you know, we have seen surprises come up. We didn't know, for example, that Patrick Shanahan, who was the acting secretary of defense, had, uh, you know, all kinds of violence in his family. You know, this was a total secret before it erupted. Things like this happen um, when you're under the spotlight and people start digging into your past. Things come out um, that uh, and, you know, everybody's got something in their closet. Um, so it just remains to be seen whether it's a big enough deal.
And and one thing, you know, it, it is interesting to note too, like we, we still, we still don't know who will be in the majority in the Senate, <laughs> uh, right. and, you know, for until at least January 5th and probably not for a few more days after that, uh, if, if they take their time and counting the two Senate runoffs. Uh, so, but, but your, your comments about Reed, you know, that does indicate that there is room for him. Uh, if, if he is the chairman uh, of the Senate Armed Services Committee, if Democrats are in the majority, and then Jim Inhofe, uh, the Oklahoma Republican, who is a very conservative guy and, you know, isn't known for deviating from the party line too much or Republican Party orthodoxy too much. Uh, he does, he, he and Reed see eye to eye on a lot of things. And one of the things that they do see eye to eye on is, is this, you know, like the, Inhofe said earlier today that he would have no problem voting for the waiver. Uh, so it, it, right. it seems like that there is enough, there are enough offsets on each side that this may be a little, uh, the rollout may be a little longer, kind of like the rollout to get Austin's nomination was a little longer than uh, it was for other nominees, but this is eventually, barring something unforeseen, like you said, going to happen. Yeah, I think so. Um, I really do. I can't see. Uh, I can't see a whole lot of movement. Uh, any, anything that would shake things up one way or the other. I mean, we should mention that um, you know there are going to be some concerns, not just from the left about the uh, about the Raytheon board position, and uh, but you'll also see from the right. Um, you're already seeing some questions being raised about whether uh, Austin has enough chops when it comes to China. Um, uh, you're seeing people like uh, Congressman Mike Gall Gallagher, Republican from Wisconsin, saying, uh, you know, basically as a, as a head of Central Command in the Middle East, uh, there's no evidence that he knows a heck of a lot about China, and China is going to be the big threat uh, going forward. So there'll be a little of that. There will also be, uh, going back to the quibbles we mentioned at the beginning, um, there will be some concerns raised about uh, Austin's stewardship of the war against ISIS. Uh, in 2015, there were some concerns, a lot of concerns raised among Republicans especially, that uh, Central Command with Austin at the helm was presenting an overly rosy picture of the battle uh, against ISIS. and. Um, and, and, and the intelligence was being skewed, some said, uh, to make things look like they were going a lot better than they were. So that stuff will come up again, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and just you know how much progress he made uh, against ISIS um, and that sort of thing. Uh, but again, to me, this is stuff that's on the margins of the central question of whether he will become the next Secretary of Defense. And uh, I, th I think one just sort of like, Small note, this is this is a perhaps a little lighthearted, but when you mentioned Mike Gallagher, this is a, a former army ranger. Uh, boy, you know, those guys usually don't get the chance to uh, dress down uh, a flag uh, officer like, like Lloyd Austin. <laughs> so somebody somebody who was an, even an officer like uh, uh, like like Gallagher and, and a decorated ranger would never normally get the chance to question <laughs> Right, uh, a four-star general, but uh, right. this is their chance. <laughs> right, take it while you got it. All right, John. Well, thank you so much. Uh, look forward to your reporting on this. Of course, we've got uh, you know troops being withdrawn. You know, uh, in the in the Trump administration's final days. So there's a lot of questions that this next defense secretary will have to face uh, from from day one, and uh, we know that you'll be reporting on it. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Right. Thanks, Jason. And 
That's going to do it for this edition of Political Theater's Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening. Thank you.